Good morning and welcome to Crossword Online. Uh, I want to greet you this morning in the name of our glorious Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We are busy in the book of Psalms and we are looking at Psalm 33 uh, today. A very magnificent psalm, a psalm full of joy and praise and lots of reasons to rejoice and praise in the God that is sovereign of all things. Um, so let us pray and I will uh, read the psalm uh, in little uh, sections, uh, quickly explain the, the outline and then have a look at the, the wonder of God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us so much reason to know you. Thank you that you invite us to truly uh, understand you and to be in relationship with you and to live in your uh, covenant love, your chesed love. Uh, we pray that we may find more reason uh, again, uh, further reason, uh, strengthening our understanding and our conviction of your glory. And so we do pray, Lord, uh, for your word to penetrate deep into our hearts so that we may see uh, you with our entire being. So restore us, Lord, uh, to your praise and glory and confidence uh, in the midst of a world that is so broken in so many levels. And uh, we thank you that you are the God who sustains us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, uh, Psalm 33, just very quickly, big background. Uh, it's part of the first book of Psalms that stretches from Psalm 1 to uh, 41. Uh, this section is the third kind of a section in this in the Psalms. The first uh, two Psalms are introduction, as we've said, uh, Psalm 3 to 14. Uh, they are the Psalms that God has established his king, a human king, uh, to rule over his world. Uh, then from Psalm 15 uh, to 24, we find another kind of a peak, as we call it. Um, uh, there, it's all about the fact that God has placed his word, his Torah, his instruction, as the way in which this king, uh, this human, who should rule over his world, uh, is to be shaped and governed by. And then uh, in the next one, uh, from uh, Psalm 25 to Psalm 34, uh, we find uh, that these are all temple psalms. Psalms, Psalms that is aware of that man is to meet this uh, God who speaks in the temple. And uh, God's temple is the entire world, uh, but also the temple is the temple of God in uh, in Israel in those days. And uh, this psalm is all about uh, rejoicing in this God. Who is this God and how awesome is he? And uh, that's what Psalm 33 in one sense is all about. Um, so if you look at the psalm, uh, the psalm has got 22 verses. Uh, it's an it's not an acrostic psalm, but it's a it's an alphabetic psalm. So it doesn't start with each new letter of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, the next verse, but it is 22 verses long, which gives us a sense of completeness. Um, there's a couple of other fascinating features. The word uh, Lord occurs uh, 13 times uh, with one uh, reference uh, to the Holy One, uh, which makes it 14. And uh, it's a psalm of David, and uh, David's number is 14 in Hebrew, and so all sorts of interesting things. This is a complete psalm of how uh, the king should know and what he should know about this Lord, who is the ruler of all creation. So I don't want to get into all those things. There's so much. Uh, so by now, I think I've said it so many times, but I guess it's never enough. You need to read a psalm 
a couple of times. Poetry is, is dense, it's pregnant, uh, it needs to be chewed again and again like a cow chooses the cud apparently seven times in order to produce milk um, to get sustenance and that gives life not only to itself but also life to those around us and that's what the Psalms on one sense are designed. It is to help us to find life from God and as we find life from God we can share it with others but it does take time as we said we keep on uh, Butchering a butterfly uh, to break poetry up and to get into the details of it. Uh, one should read it again and again and again and again and let it hit you. Let it uh, capture your your heart and your mind and your soul and your even your body strength. And that's what we'll see in the psalm. Uh, so magnificent. So the psalm is all about why it is right for us. As it says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. So there's the call uh, to worship. It's, 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 a, it's a call to stand in awe of the God of all creation, specifically as they come to the temple. And this is the right thing. It says it's so beautiful. It says this is fitting. This is, this is the beautifully right thing to do, um, is to really recognize worth. Uh, where it belongs, and that really belongs with the Lord, um, the covenant God of Israel, the God who's made covenant, and we're going to see so much of that in this section. I just want to highlight very quickly, when it says sing joyfully, it says rejoice, and it says not to the Lord, but in the Lord, um, so it's an appeal form, which says you need to recognize who you're talking to, who is this Lord that you're talking to, you are actually living uh, in his world in his space in his temple actually and uh, that's where you find yourself at all times but more specifically in this temple uh, in jerusalem at the time and so it's really saying you need to think about who you're talking to do you really realize who you are addressing he is the lord and the psalm is going to give us many reasons for why this is right fitting good uh, proper uh, all those kind of words um, so first says sing joyfully to him. So really spend some time, close your eyes. Uh, who are you addressing when you call him Lord? Do you recognize how a magnificent being he is? Um, how magnificent God he is? And uh, that's really what the psalm is trying. And he says it's the righteous. So the righteous, as we saw last week, Psalm 32, uh, those who recognize that in the presence of this awesome God, they also recognize their own brokenness, their own sin, their own transgressions, uh, their own iniquity. And that's what we saw last week. It is so privileged. You are so blessed. You, when you recognize that you have sin, you have transgression, you have iniquity, and that that needs to be dealt with by this awesome God. And this awesome God says, when you come and acknowledge to me your failure, your sin, your iniquity, your transgression, uh, openly, clearly, honestly, without excuse, without hiding, without minimizing it, he says, then I gladly forgive, I gladly cover, and I will not impute, I will not reckon and keep a record of that uh, to you. I will forgive you and you will be righteous. So a righteous person is not a person who is sinless. A righteous person is the one who knows their sin, but knows that God and God alone can forgive it and that he gladly does so when you do. He's the one who actually surrounds you, he literally puts a fence around you of joy and sings songs of deliverance to you when you come and admit to this awesome God who's made all things that you are, you've sinned. And so the right thing to do then is if you are the righteous by grace, 
by forgiveness, by being covered and not being imputed your sin. He says, well, in the right thing for you to do, it's the beautifully upright thing to do. It is the fitting thing to do. Uh, and really, therefore, think about who you're praising. You're praising a God that is not awesome only, but a God who's awesome in forgiveness and who delights when you come and ask for forgiveness. And that's in the first three. So the first three verses are all about calling us. So first, know who you talk to in verse uh, one. Verse two, praise this Lord is, is in the Hifiel form. And we've spoken about that. That means you must bring all of you awareness, your heart, your soul, your mind, and all of your strength and worship him. So in one sense, I guess it means I can't sit still like this and do it. Uh, I have to stand up and dance, as we saw last week. Dance in a circle uh, is the right uh, thing. Uh, there is a entire engagement. You have to worship God with intent and with awareness uh, who you are talking to, but also are you bringing all? Is there any part of your being that you are leaving out? So it's kind of a fantastic way of for us to learn to worship this awesome God. The right thing is to see him in his totality. So see him clearly. And the right thing is for you to worship him with your totality. Because he's made you. and he's part, You're a part of his. Isn't that magnificent? God wants for us to know the joy of being in relationship with him. We are made to be in relation. Our brains are designed to be in relational joy with God and with one another. And with everything that he's made, because everything that he made belongs to him. And we're going to see that uh, so incredibly clear. And so in verse 3, he kind of combines the PL and the feels, and he says, well, sing this new song. Find a new tune. Put, put all of this wonderful stuff into a new song. It's, uh, that's really what they're encouraging you to do. And play skillfully. Play flat outly. Um, and shout for joy. What an incredible psalm. So my prayer is, is that in the psalm you will see quickly, and very clearly, which you already know, but I want to remind you how awesome it is to really know and be in a relationship with this awesome God. And so that's the call. Now he's going to tell us why. So verse 4 starts with the word for. So all the way from verse 4 all the way to verse 19 really is the call and the reasons for worship. Why does he, why, why should you worship? Why should you know this God? Why should you be in the joy of knowing this God? Because he is awesome. And so we want to break it down very quickly. Verse 4 and 5 gives us the theme of these things. And then from verse 6 onwards uh, to verse 19, it gives us four areas, pictures, uh, uh, avenues to explore this. So let me read verse 4 and 5 for you first. So here's the theme, and then we'll quickly try and pick up uh, all the rest. There's so much in this song. We could spend a, a couple of days uh, reading it through. Uh, so it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. His word always creates what is right, straight, and true reality. It's his word. Uh, God is a God who speaks. God is a God who wants to be known. All relationships really is based on some form of communication happening. God communicates his entire being through his word. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is the God who brings Reality into being by his word and it's an expression of himself and it's to make known who he is. It's through words. It's, that's what our God is like. He's a speaking God. Uh, he's not a force. Uh, he's at least, as C.S. Lewis would say, a person. And then it says the Lord loves righteousness and justice. Oh, he loves righteousness. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The, word, the world is full of his chesed love, his covenant love, which tells us that when God created in the beginning, he made a covenant with creation itself. 
which is bared out and the rest of the, the kind of the way in which the Bible speaks about these things. But here you find this fascinating thing. God's word is the agency of his making himself known. <laughs> and immediately, if you are a Christian, you know Jesus is the word of God and he is the one who reveals the truth about God. No one has seen God but him who reveals him, and that's Jesus, and he comes full of grace and full of truth. God wants to be in a relationship, so he's gracious, but he's also truthful. Uh, you, you can just you can just play with this thing. This this psalm is this is a play psalm. This is a this is a, a swim and, and and enjoy psalm. You you can cover yourself with this psalm. But this word is full of righteousness and justice. And Jesus Christ came and he was full of righteousness and justice. God's desire, the word righteousness is the principle behind how all things relate to one another. God wants all things to relate to him rightly. That's righteousness. Justice is how that actually happens and how we correct it when it goes wrong. So the word justice is, and the word judgment is very close. It's the application of the principle. So the principle is God is the one that's in the center of all things. And everything God makes relates to him and to one another rightly. That's the word righteousness. We see that actually because God has executed judgment. He's actually put the principle into physical reality. And we're going to see that just now. And when things go wrong in that, he also corrects it. So God is, and that is his unfailing love, as he calls it here. His chesed love, his covenant love. He is committed to this world and to each person. And his desire is that everyone will relate to him rightly and to everything else. And that he will make sure it happens. And when it goes wrong, he will correct it. Can you see how big a hope it is, how big a glory it is to know a God like this? He does not give up on what he's made. He will make it sure it happens right. He will uh, execute it. He will correct it. Uh, because he is full of love. He's full of chesed love, covenant love. A love that is so powerful, so corrective, so enduring, so persistent, that everything in the world, the earth is full of it. So righteousness and judgment is not just moral and legal categories. They are literally how creation works. And it's going to show us just now. That's what he's going to do for us now. He's going to take this this essential, kind of difficult conceptual thing for us to understand. And he's going to give us four pictures. Four pictures of showing us how God is full of love, chesed love, and how that is seen in how righteous everything is and how judgment uh, works out, how it brings it about and how it corrects it when it goes wrong. So, <laughs> are you still with me? I mean... The, I've said so much already. This psalm is really um, jam-packed. So what we find is uh, from verses 6 to verse 9, there's a further evidence of this word and how this word has shaped creation in the beginning and how that word is powerful, how that word is creative, how that world, actually there's some hints to the creation of Israel and the upkeep of Israel as God brought them out of Egypt and through the desert into the promised land. And it's got to do with water. Uh, so I'm going to read verses 6 to 9. So there are literally four pictures. So maybe I should give them to you first if you have a Bible in front of you. Verse 6 to 9 is all about God's word and how righteousness and justice happens through his word. Then verses 10 uh, to 11 uh, sorry, 10 to 12 is all about God's uh, 
sovereign rule over history and nations. Then God's righteousness and judgment is actually in God's, what we call God's eye, God's concern for the individual. And then lastly, God's concern for salvation. So there's the pictures. Creation, people, nations, individuals, and salvation. And then verses 20 to 21 kind of draws it all together and says, this is the right conclusion. Uh, what we need to reach and how wonderful it is for the rest of our lives. Okay, so there are four pictures and I'm going to try and be short uh, if I possibly can be. So let's read verses 6 to 9. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So there is the word and the breath, the spirit, the ruach. Uh, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars, which is an interesting reference. Um, he says he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And so here, right up front, God's word comes and God's word uh, creates. God, the righteousness of God and the justice of God in that word is so powerful. It actually makes uh, the heavens were made and the starry hosts were made by his breath. He spoke and it came into being. God uh, spoke and matter congealed and separated and space was created and uh, stuff came together. And so you have uh, the earth and the heavens and the heavenly bodies uh, and they all are the expression of his word, uh, the expression of his righteousness, the expression of how he executes his righteousness and judgment. He actually creates a place for everything and everything in its place. And that's what you see in Genesis 1 and 2. is in a beautifully magnificent way of how things work and relate. And how everything works in its right place. And everything works together. And that makes it possible for life to flourish. God is a God that we know something about by what he's made. We can't see him. He's eternal. He's spirit. But he speaks. And when he speaks, it creates matter. It creates reality. It creates everything we know and see around us. It is just so, and it's good. It gives life. He separates the waters. He gathers the waters into jars, he says, and puts the deep into storehouses. He's kind of separated the waters from below the expanse of the waters, waters uh, above it. And so, boom, he creates a sky. And he creates a, a space. And then he takes the, the, the actual world and he separates the waters from the landmass. And it says he puts them in jars. That's <laughs> fascinating. And he puts them in the storehouses under. And so you've got all these subterranean uh, waters. And the, the earth is, is it drifting on the waters. Is it solid through and through? And there's all these kind of questions. But here it says God knows how to create a space for everything and everything in its place. So when it works together and when he fills it with all sorts of creatures and ultimately man, man can live and thrive in this world, which he has spoken out of his love to us it's an expression of his being is seen in his artistic ability it all comes through his word and he's spoken and came to be in it stands it's firm there's nothing you can do about it you can't you can't wish it away you're yeah and this is yeah and it's magnificent and it answers that question why is there something rather than nothing well because god spoke it into being that's really what the psalmist tried to say and this hints here and i don't want to get into it of israel's creation because the phrase that gathers the waters into jars uh, into jars is really a reference to when god split the waters when they went through the reed sea water on this side that side and israel went through and the egyptians were drowned in it when you can control liquid you know you have power 
And that's really one of the big things in the Bible. Is God is the God above everything. We saw that specifically in Psalm 29. When he's above the waters and he comes in the storm. And he's above the flood and he rules the flood. He rules the world by water. He's, he's the powerful one. The one who can rule liquid is the one who actually is the one in charge. And that's what he's saying. So why should you... When you say, I worship the Lord... Is this the Lord that you're worshipping? The Lord who spoke all of reality into being in its beautiful array of possibilities. Everything in its place and working rightly. And when they all work together, life flourishes. And when they don't, it's really bad. And that's what we'll see in the next thing. As often man comes in and in his schemes and plans, he upsets the justice and the righteousness of God. But first point. God has made everything that exists. He's made Israel. Brought Israel about through water. Twice. Out of the Egypt into the promised land. He stops the Jordan River. And they move through. And God is the God that says, I am the one who creates what is good. And therefore the right response is for all the people of the world to fear him. To stand in awe of his awesome power. This is awesome power. And it's the right thing to fear and to dread him. You don't want to mess with him. Really is what it's saying. The right response is to stand a gulp with your mouth open huh, and just look at his powerful, his good power. But power. All right, you've got that. There's the first reason to worship. So maybe you look at the today, hopefully the sun is shining and the cold fronts of the given is a bit of a break, and you see the beauty of this world. It's clean, washed by the rain that came, and the sun is shining, and you see the wonder and air and all of those things work together. Everything just works like together so life can happen, flourish. That's all because God has spoken into being. That is his righteousness and his justice on display in creation. Second reason. Quick, verses 10 to 12. God is the one who oversees history, the nations and all their plans and schemes. So let's read that. He says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thrusts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Oh, blessed that we see last time is those who are right with God. Now, blessed is the nation of people who are right with God. Surely it is because all peoples have plans and schemes. And they are always thinking that when their plans and schemes work and come about as they think, life will be better for them. And 99.9999% of the time when people have their plans and schemes and they hope that it will bring life better, there's always life for people like us. People that maybe have my skin color, people that maybe have my values, people that maybe I agree with. I make all my plans and schemes for what we would call my people. And because that is a sign of unrighteousness and injustice, God says, go for it, I'll frustrate you. I want you to see, I want you to learn that when you treat others as less human than yourself, when they are human and you make laws and places and all sorts of things for yourself, then life won't work. So I'll frustrate your plans. Isn't that the most wonderful thing to know? <laughs> that this wonderful world is the Lord's. God has placed man to rule it. But man must rule it under his word as we've been seeing. And if you're not, then God says, I will frustrate you. I will bring your plans to nothing because your plans is often not full of righteousness 
and neither is it full of justice. And we've seen that over and over in the history. In South Africa, we unfortunately have that legacy ourselves. Up until 1995, 94, we had a, quite a chaotic way of treating people. And we made all the plans and purposes for us. People like us. People who looks like us. God says, I'll frustrate you. And so it only lasted almost a generation. 1961 to 1994. And again, in the New South Africa, people are making rules and plans for people themselves, not always for everyone. And so the unrighteousness and the injustice causes suffering, hardship, frustration. And God says, yeah, you can bet on it. The wonderful thing is that I am the Lord of history. I oversee history. I will bring all my plans and purposes together for mankind and for this world, and I will do it. And that's, <laughs> isn't that good news? That there are so many theories out there. There are so many scary stories. There are so many conspiracy theories about who's doing what and how this world will work and how the, and God says, you know what? It really doesn't matter how much money you have and how much power I have and how much plans and purpose. I will frustrate you because mine stand forever God's plan and purpose is so clearly explained for us in Ephesians chapter 1 all things under heaven and on earth will be reconciled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and now he's giving mankind the choice, the chance to become the blessed people, blessed are those who have chosen that the Lord is their God, those who have recognized that this is the one who must forgive you and this is the one who must give you blessing as you come and acknowledge you have not lived under his righteousness and his justice. And when you do that, you will be blessed because you will now be his people, ultimately fulfilling Christ and now for everybody, not just the Jews. Isn't that magnificent? Doesn't that give you a rest in the midst of the chaos of plans and purposes and schemes and theories and conspiracy theories running around all over the world and in the news? Or... The plans of man will be frustrated. But the Lord's plans will stand forever. What incredible promise. Oh God, please help us that we may see the truth of that. There is not one group of people who have lasted forever. All their plans and purposes and kingdoms have come to nothing. There's only one kingdom that can never come to nothing. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom. Hope. Can you give yourself to this God? Is this the God you worship? The God who oversees all things? Can you give yourself entirely to this God? He's the one that can look after you. Next little section becomes even more personal. Verse 13. He says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who, uh, all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they so verses 13 to 15 tells us God not only oversees all of creation, God not only oversees all of nations and history, God actually oversees and looks at every single human heart. Look how beautiful. He uses a couple of words. He says God is personally involved in looking. He is fully engaged. That's what the word look means there. He sees, it's, it's another word that says he actually really understands the insides of mankind. He says, from his dwelling place, he watches, he observes, he, 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 he is, it's just another word. All who live on earth, and he forms their, the hearts of all, who considers everything. He, he 
he, he values everything that he did. He considers everything that he did. There's one person in this universe that knows you, that knows your heart, that knows your fear. He sees you, sees everything about you. He hears every cry of your heart. He understands exactly where you are right now. He knows how you got here. He knows your history. He knows your parents. He knows their failures. He knows their successes with you. He knows how you reacted to each one of them. He knows exactly where you are, how you are. He understands how difficult your situation is. He is fully converse with every aspect of your heart, your most deepest hidden reality of who you are. Not everything in our hearts gets expressed. A lot do, but not He knows your heart. Look at what it says. He who forms the hearts. Literally, he who forms individually the heart of every single human being. He has made you for himself. He is interested in your heart. He considers everything you say and do. He watches over you. He looks intently into you. He sees and weighs everything about you. Isn't that magnificent? There's one being in this world that knows you through and through, fully, perfectly. And he wants to know if you know him. He wants to know if you know that he's made you and he delights in having made you. He wants to know, as we'll see in the next section, if you fear him, if you revere him, if you acknowledge him, if like the previous psalm, you come and acknowledge that you have not always done what is right, that you have stuff in you that you don't even understand, but you know it causes you pain. He wants you to know that he knows you. That is awesome, isn't it? That is just mind-blowing. Is this the God? When you say Jesus, when you say Lord, do you know that he knows you? <laughs> he sees you. He hears you. He understands you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be gracious to you. You'll see that just now. He wants you to hear him knowing you. That's magnificent. This awesome God with you and me. You need to stop there, I think. We need to stop and just drink it in it. Just bring up all the objections you might find to know if that is true and see if it holds water. So here's the thing. God is interested with creation, nation, nations, history and individuals. <laughs> Each individual. Every human being you lay your eyes on, God is interested in them. So you know the God that knows you and that knows that every person you lay eyes on, he knows them too and he's interested in them. So maybe you could be too. Fascinating, isn't it? And he gets there's lots of application to that. Then, verse 16 tells us that he is the Lord of salvation. He's the Lord of redemption. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warriors escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. There, that's the eyes of the Lord. There again, the eyes of the Lord. He looks. He looks at, not only, he looks at you, know him, if you fear him, if you revere him, if you stand in awe of him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love, those who have turned to him. So it's not just dread and fear, who knows his awesome power, but 
who actually puts their hope in his unfair, his chesed love. He's, he's ruling of the world in righteousness and in justice. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. God is the one who wants to save people. Everybody in this world knows that they need salvation. <laughs> That's so funny, isn't it? You go to a country and you know that that country, uh, what they spend most of their money on is what they're most concerned about. And guess what most countries and most nations in the world spend all most of their money on? Yeah, you guessed it. Armory. To keep themselves safe. To protect themselves. To save themselves. Billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent each year by different armies, different nations on armies to protect themselves. These things here are describing the most uh, advanced technology of those days. The size of your army, the chariots, the horses, all of that stuff. Christ says, can't save you. <laughs> can maybe save you from someone else, but it's not going to save you from me. Neither is going to save you from death. And none of those things can save you from famine. If a famine hits, not all the technology in the world can save you. Fascinating, isn't it? And yet, God is saying, each one needs salvation. Every single person knows they need salvation. They need to be saved from something. <laughs> he says, what you really need to be saved from is death. <laughs> and ultimately, you need to be saved from me. So the one who fears me and who puts their hope in my righteousness and justice and therefore admits it when they are not righteous and just and freely come and lay it out previous psalm they can know that this god will save them not only from death but actually through death and that nothing in this world can set them apart from his love what an incredible aspect everyone knows they need salvation the more money you have, the more you spend on protecting yourself. Fascinating. It's going to build into the reality of the unrighteousness and the wickedness of man. And God says, none of those things will ultimately. I'm so strong that I'll come in weakness in Christ Jesus. And I'll die on a cross in weakness. Because my weakness is stronger than man's strength. When I'm at my weakest through my son, I'm stronger than death. The one thing that man cannot conquer. Isn't that magnificent? God shows his power ultimately in Christ by becoming weak, giving himself over to the hands of armies and men who fight and kill because they think they have power. And he dies willingly for sin, for the unrighteous, for the wicked. And everyone who calls on him will be saved because he has been raised from the dead because death is not strong enough to keep him. His weakness is stronger than the strongest thing in the world and that's death. You can trust him. You see how, how it covers just almost every angle? How magnificent the psalm is. Do you know this Lord? Have you recognized him? Do you? Is your hope in him? Was your hope in your bank balance? New political environment? Kings put their power and their lives into the hands of armies. Fascinating, isn't it? Different people try and save themselves in different ways, and there's nothing that can save you from death. But God and God alone. How magnificent is that? Can you do you know this God? Can you trust this God? Can you entrust your entire life to this God? You see, yeah, the reasons for calling people to worship. 
this is a good reason to worship him. And so here's the kind of daily life that we can live in the light of these facts and these realities. He says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our, our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. His magnificent name. He's, he's different from everyone else. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so verse 10 has a word of a wait. And actually the last um, line, it says, even if we put our hope in you, it's another word for wait. Um, so knowing this God, we can wait for you. And there are two slightly different kind of angles on those wait. Uh, the first wait is, I can wait until the fullness of all the things that you've promised in this psalm and for life comes about. Because I have got confidence that you are the one who oversees creation, history, my life, and what can rob me of life. Since I can trust you, I can wait for you to bring in the fullness of your kingdom. Your kingdom is going to come in its fullness at the end and I can wait for that. That's the one side. So I'm confident of what is coming because you are overseeing all. That's the one sign. And that's why it says, you are our help and our shield. And our hearts now rejoice. We are glad because you are doing this, because you are so different. You are so set apart. There's no one like you. And then he says, may your unfailing love, your chesed love, your covenant love, your righteousness and your justice uh, be with us. Even as we put our hope in you. There the word is to wait for you. There it is. However long it take, I will wait. So the one is, I will wait in certainty of the end. And this is, however long for us to get to that end, I'll wait. I will wait in all joy. Consider it all joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. No matter how hard it is now, I'll wait. You see how really understanding the glory of this Lord, who is ultimately revealed in Christ, gives us hope. I know it's been a mouthful, isn't it? Maybe you need to take each one of those little sections and kick them around and bury them in your heart and let them penetrate. This is the Lord who's inviting you and me into relationship with himself. This Lord, the one who rules over all of creation, all of mankind, all of nations, all of history, all of each and every individual, and over all of what can separate us and robbers of life, even death, he rules over all of that. you see how you can't escape him? You should rejoice in him, in the reality of the complexity and the wonder of who he is. He's inescapable. He's, he's unavoidable. He invites you now to recognize that. And when you do, he says, I'll save you. I'll save you from all the things that could separate you from me. So, if you do, you can wait. Because it's going to be glorious at the end. And you can even wait now. No matter how long it takes before that glory comes. So how many ups and downs and unrighteousness and wickedness of men do we need to pass? Knowing that this God oversees it all means I can wait. May you wait in full understanding of the glory of this Lord. May he cover you with his goodness. May his chesed love Make your entire being rejoice that you know and are in relationship with the joy-giving, joy-assured, joyful eternity of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
Now, how could we thank you? Oh, how upright and fitting it is for us to worship you with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength. You cover every conceivable angle on life. And you are so magnificent because you are seen by everything you've made and how you oversee the histories of man, how you know our deepest, darkest fears and wonders and thanks and praises you know us inside out and you're looking to see if we know you if we recognize you because you're the only one who can save us from death you're the only one who can keep us and so we acknowledge that lord we do that with a deep deep sense of thankfulness and joy pray that your spirit will open our eyes to see your glory in the face of christ he who is the very word of god who made all things who rules all things, who is interested in every human heart and who is the one who has conquered death himself. He is the word, the living word, the righteous and the just word, the covenant love that you have with everything you've made is seen in Christ. And to him belong all our praise and glory and trust. So we pray, may we put our trust in you. May we be able to wait for you. May you be our hope in these days. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. May our incredible God comfort your heart, feed you with his goodness and his grace in this coming week. Thank you. Goodbye.